to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I surrender to you. Do something new in my life. Reach out to me in a very special way. Let this word not be ordinary. Let it be equipping, strengthening, and help me to focus in serving you in honor and in blessing. We give you praise, Lord. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We know you're doing something new among us. Establish what you're doing, Lord. Bring us understanding. Let us be able to grasp, hold on to the faith, hold on to the truth, hold on to what the vision is in these days so we can run with it and see fulfillment. We bless you. We thank you for this privilege of being together with one another and also being in your presence. We know that by the end, we'll be blessed exceedingly in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. I want to welcome you to Elim City this morning. This is a wonderful day. This morning, what I want to share is a little bit tougher. We must pass the stage of just drinking milk and come to the place of eating bones. We have to make that effort. Growth is a deliberate act. When you decide to grow, you can grow. When you decide you want to mess up or you want to fool about, you can also fool about. It's a decision we make. So I'm trusting that we have made the decision to launch into another level of our Christian life and not just be ordinary, but be leaders that people can look up to and follow. And that's why I'm sharing these things with you. As Christians, we must be at the cutting edge to be relevant to our changing world without compromising our values. I believe that if we are going to be able to continue what Jesus has given to us to do, today, these contemporary times, Christians must stand to be at the cutting edge of change because change is coming and if we are not part of the change, the change will not go to the favor of the church and to what God has asked us to do. Change is all over. Our world is not the same again. Things have changed. I, I have looked at so many things and I've realized that it is not the same. I am old, but I'm not that old for change, rapid change to be seen over this short period of my life. But you see change in succession, even from the point of my birth till now, I have seen changes in almost every area. When I speak to people and they are telling me what is thriving now, what is happening at this moment, I feel very old because I didn't begin with those things. I didn't see those things coming and happening, but now they are happening all over. Change is coming. It comes in different forms. Liberality, it comes in different segments and, and time. And you see how young people and people that are coming up behave, you realize that change is coming. Change is coming. Change is coming. I was talking to some people yesterday and I was telling them, who knew that focus on cities will change? Because years ago, Going into the city was the main thing for everybody to do. If you want to buy, you want to transact business, you want to deal with something so special, you have to go to the city. Cities were created for people to go and do business. So offices and places were in the cities. And now you hear that cities are shutting down. Cities like London, cities like um, New York, cities like Paris, they are shutting down. They have all these structures, these monuments, standing, tall buildings, which every floor was costing so much to have your office there. But now, offices are moving from city spaces because by the help of internet and online business, nobody wants to rent structures that will cost them. So they would rather be at home. People don't literally even go to shops. They stay at home and order online and they are delivered to them. Can you just believe that in our time in Sunyane, you can sit in your house and order wache, and wache will be delivered to your doorsteps? It never happened at my time. When I was young, it's only happening now. Where there are delivery people, dispatch riders all over the city. So change is happening. 
Last, last two weeks, I was talking about change even in the area of television and other things that people don't buy televisions any longer. They are buying mobile phones because there's nothing you want to watch that you cannot watch on your phone and you watch it at your own convenient time, not meeting the time of a TV station. Things are changing. And when it comes to our faith, things are changing. And if we don't lead that change, it's going to create problems for us. It's going to take us from the mainstream and make what is important, what is major, makes it, it will make it minor. Have you realized that even in Christendom, now our Christian faith is all our, our comfort. It's all about what we want. When people go to church, they check certain things to see whether it will serve their interests before they stay in the church. It's about us and people rather than being about God and his intentions. The purpose of the church and how it was instituted is no more the main cause. Now it's about us. Am I going to get a husband if I go there? Am I going to get a wife if I go there? Am I going to increase my resources and get more money if I go there? What I'm going to hear is this something that will stir me up to be excited. Am I going to make friends if I go there? And it's become our thoughts. We decide what we want to hear from the pulpit. We decide what is good. We decide the taste of music we want to hear. Whether this is good or that is good or that is bad. or Everything has become us and it's not God-centered any longer. And this is my concern. Have you realized that now church, as pastors, this is not even your problem. This is our problem as pastors. Have you realized that our vision for church, when a pastor says church, or leaders say church, the whole focus is about filling a place. That is the whole focus. The way we measure whether our church is doing well is by the number of people that occupy our pews. How many people we are able to gather at a particular time. So emphasis is being laid on structures. Emphasis is being laid on the number of people who walk in on a Sunday. And we don't care where they come from. Now church has become, I must convince you to leave where you are to come to where I am. We are just shifting the chairs. Christians are moving from one place to the other because they are being enticed with money or being enticed with different things and say, come to where I am. So salvation is not a major thing any longer. It is about you going to feel a place. Because if you come and my place is full, it means that I'm doing well as a pastor. It means that it's the best church. It means that everything is okay. It's doing great. And the problem is endemic. It's, it's not just with pastors. It goes right through. Because we've lost the purpose of a church. The reason why church must be in existence is become about gathering people from other places who are already saved rather than touching the unbelievers. And this thing keeps going on whilst the church has closed their eyes. As a church, our eyes are shut to those people who need salvation the most. And the focus has become how we can shift the chairs among us as Christians and move Christians from other places to fill our building. I've gotten to a place where I'm rethinking almost everything. I'm rethinking almost everything. Bringing people here is not enough. Getting the message through them is the main cause. So we may go and pick students and fill the hall with students, but if we don't get the message to them, if the reason for bringing them doesn't come to pass, we are just wasting resources or we are just entertaining people because they go back to their mess and nothing is achieved. This morning, what I want to really share on is equipping for ministry. Equipping for ministry. If we are talking about change, if we are talking about 
changing direction, then something needs to be done. Hearing is not enough. We must implement it. We must change things, not just because we spoke about them, but because we acted on them. And that is what I want to see. I think that as a church, we must go through a complete transformation. We must change our course. We must not follow what everybody is doing. We must not follow every direction any church is going. We must follow the direction that Jesus has given. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. From the NIV it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, and take note of it, these are functions that were given by Christ himself. And it said, Christ himself, not somebody, gave the apostles, one, two, prophets, three, evangelists, four, Pastors and number five, what? Teachers. So these are functions that have been given. But you can't end the reading there because it is an incomplete thing. It goes on. So we go into verse 12. And it says, to equip his people. To equip his people. And it doesn't also end there. It says, for the works of service, so that, so that, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And this scripture is loaded. It's loaded. It's something that we have to look into over and over and over. You see the five functions here mentioned they are for one particular purpose. They are for what? Equipping of the saints for ministry. The reason why we have the fivefold ministry is to do what? Equip, build up, prepare, get ready the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why we have the fivefold ministry. That's why we have the fivefold functions in the church. If we have apostles, we have prophets, we have evangelists, we have pastors, we have teachers, and they don't do their job, what's the use of them? Because their job has been cut out. It's been prescribed. The job of this function is to do one thing. Equip, train, build up, raise. It's for equipment. Equip saints. And when they equip the saints, what is their Rational behind the equipping for ministry. So it's a chain production. One starts and must end at, at the final level. When it starts and doesn't finish, it's a problem. It's a chain production. Ministry is being referred to here as works of service. Works of service simply is what? Ministry. The word ministry means service. Serving. So when you hear ministry, don't make it a big word. It is a small word. Service. So the Bible talks about works of service, which is ministry. And ministry is an agency or an instrumentation by which services are offered. We offer. Every Christian is given a ministry. Tell your neighbor you've been given a ministry. Are you sure? Do you believe that? But what is your ministry? What is your ministry? Pastor, I don't have a ministry. I don't even have a name for it. Because to you, ministry is having a long name and saying so-so and so ministries. You don't even know what you are talking about because you can't even believe yourself that you have a ministry. But every Christian is giving a ministry. Every Christian has a ministry. The Greek word for ministry is diakonio. And it simply means to serve. 
to serve. So Ministry of Foreign Affairs is supposed to be serving. The Minister for Foreign Affairs is a servant because ministry is service. When we say you have a ministry, it means that you have a role to play, you have a service to render, you have something to give. But as Christians, do we all believe that we have something to give? We have a service to render. Even if we know that, is this something that translates through our lives? Or we just walk into church and sit on the chairs and warm them and when the grace is said, we walk away and until next week, we go to do our own thing. Everyone must serve. It is service. And in the New Testament, ministry is seen as service to God and to other people in his name. So this service we are talking about is not just service like any other service. In the olden days in Ghana, when a taxi is passing by, you see the old folks put their hands out and they stop them. They call it service. Taxi used to be known as service. Now it's called taxi. We used to call it service. And they didn't park at a station waiting for passengers. They were crisscrossing the town. And when they are passing by, you just service. And they stop and you sit in and you tell them where you're going. So service can be so many things. But in the church, when we talk about service, which is ministry, we are talking about offering service to God and to other people in his name. You offer service to God and other people in his name. So when we come to church and we are serving, our first focus is this service is unto who? God. You don't serve people first. You serve who? God. So if you are here and you are not doing anything for God, don't, 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 don't justify yourself and say, oh, because of what I've gone through, I don't want to do anything. Oh, because of this. Nobody has an excuse not to serve God. Even the dead, if they, they have brains, which is unfortunate they don't, they could have been serving. We know Elisha's dead body Raise a dead person. <laughs> we have to serve God. And when we serve people, we serve people in his name. So it doesn't matter whether the people accept our service. It doesn't matter whether they reject our service. It doesn't matter how they react towards us. What we are doing may be directed towards them, but it's not for them. It is done in the name of who? God. We serve God. Although people are reacting to what we are doing, our services to God. So we don't allow what they think and how they behave to affect what we do. Because if they do that, they will stop us from serving God. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to stop us from serving God. So the people we are serving will react. The people we are reaching out to will do something different. And that doesn't benefit us when we make snap decisions. It's about service. Service to God and to other people in his name. In his name. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say that when we say serving God, service to God and to other people, that is the standard. The standard is simple. Serving God and serving others in his name. The standard makes us aware that when we serve, it's not because we want to impress. We serve not to impress people. We serve not to convince people. We serve not for people to like us. We serve not for people to give us stuff and benefit from our service. Some of us, when we serve, we want appreciation. When we serve, we want people to put something in our hands. When we serve, we want people to acknowledge us and recognize us. When we serve, we want to have influence. We want to dominate. When we serve, we use it for all other purposes which benefit us. But that is not what service is. The standard, the standard is what? Is to serve God and serve others in his name. If we are serving God and serving others in his name, it requires us to serve by offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So the service is like a spiritual, Romans chapter 
uh, 12, 1 and 2 talks about that. Offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Our service is what? A spiritual sacrifice to God. It's not to people. It's a sacrifice to God. This morning, if we are serving in the capacity that I'm talking about, which I'll let you understand very soon, you, you realize that you are not serving men. I have heard stories about great men of God who did great things for God. And most of these people that I've heard about, most, not all, most of them, I realized that their conversion was very difficult. That it was not easy for them to become Christians. That people had to work hard. You talk about people like Nicky Cruz, who was a gang leader, and who will have the courage to share the word of God with Nicky Cruz. He's going to kill you. He's going to finish you. Everybody was afraid of Nicky Cruz. He and his gang could walk into the church. They will walk into the church and he will pull his knife and everybody will be removing their, their watches and their wallets and putting an offering bowl. He, he, he will come and rob the church. And one time he came to the church of the very man who was sharing the gospel with him. And he took an offering and at the end, at the point of a knife, at the end, he gave it back to the church. It was not easy for him to be saved. People who try to reach out to such people and God uses them to reach to such people realize that they give them hard time and tough time. When you start following somebody to bring the person to church and they tell you, oh, come 7 o'clock. You go 7 o'clock and they left the house 5 minutes to 7. They knew you were coming. They said they'll go to church with you on Sunday. You go Saturday, iron their clothes. Sunday morning, you go and you hear that they wore the same clothes and they went somewhere else. You put them in a taxi and pay their taxi fare and you come to church. The moment you sit down, you turn around, they've gotten out, they've gone. They are giving you challenges and problems. And if we don't give up, eventually when they get stick into the things of God and get saved, they become great people in God. But the tendency for us to give up and get tired whilst we're going through this process is so high. Why? Because we are tired. We are human beings. We feel we are wasting our time. But if we don't give up, we will see the fruits. What will help us not to give up is to know that this service is not even to the person who is frustrating me. This service is unto who? God. This service is not about the people around. This service is not a service to Elim City. This service is unto who? God. And when you begin to have that understanding, you don't give up. You press on until you see results. Every Christian is called by God not to primarily receive ministry, but to be equipped to offer ministry. Now the church is a place where people go to find answers. But you see, the calling of God primarily is not for you to receive services. Oh, I'm coming to church so that I can be helped. The calling of God right from the beginning, God's agenda, God's plan, the reason why God called you as a Christian, the reason why you are sitting here is for you to render service. So when you come to the church, the job of the church is to equip you to do what? Render service. If you're a Christian and you are not rendering the service or you are not being equipped. You've not even started. It means you are still a baby. Babes are the ones that sit on the bench. When mothers and the grown-up children are going to farm, they leave you in the village. And when they come, you eat what they bring. These are babies. The real work, the reason why we are called as Christians is to be equipped to go and serve. We must serve. We must serve. Most Christians don't understand the loyalty to Christ that we claim we have. The loyalty to Christ that we claim we have means sharing personally in his ministry. We must share in his ministry. And sharing in his ministry means going or staying when required. When Christ wants us to go, we go. When he wants us to stay, we stay. Wherever he wants us to go is where we go. 
That's sharing in his ministry. That is what ministry is about. We must keep focus on what we've been called to do. The five functions equip, but it's only through ministry that the body of Christ may be built up. Some of us think that, oh, when we have prophets in the church, when we have apostles, the church will be built up. No. No, prophets, pastors, teachers, they don't build church. Hello? Are you hearing me today? My job is not to build a church as a pastor. Pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, they don't build churches. They equip the saints. And the saints are the ones that do what? Do the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is what? That's what? Builds the church. What is going to build this church and any other church is the work of ministry. Work of service. That is what builds a church. So the role of the functions in the, given to us, the five-fold functions, is to equip us. And when it equips us, we in turn have to do what? After being equipped, serve. You see where the problem is? Sometimes we don't have the five-fold ministry or, or functions to equip. That can be a problem. There are other times where the five-fold functions are there and they are equipping all right, but those they are equipping refuse to offer what? Ministry. And when they refuse to offer ministry, the product of that is not having the church built up. Church only builds up when we serve. It's a common thing. Let me ask you. We have sheep, and sheep always have what? A shepherd. Every shepherd's dream is to see the sheep multiply, isn't it? If you're a shepherd, if you have goats in your house, you want the goat to keep giving birth, isn't it? You want more goats. Is that not it? When you have five of them, you want to see them become 20. So there's a shepherd, and there's a sheep. Although the shepherd wants to see more sheep, does the shepherd give birth to the sheep? Who gives birth to the sheep? The sheep. It takes the sheep to multiply the sheep, not the shepherd. The shepherd's role is to help the sheep become stronger, eat well, and be in a better state. But if the sheep decide, I'm not going to give birth, there's not going to be multiplication of sheep. Our expectation that pastors and prophets and teachers will build a church. Oh, this pastor is powerful. is meaningless. Because they don't build the church. It's a sheep. Most often the blame is placed on the shepherd. But does the sheep also have something to take home? Yes. We must realize that we have a role to play and if we don't play that role, then we're not going to be able to get the result that we are looking for. Interestingly, when Jesus called his first disciples into ministry, he found them while they were casting a net into a lake. Jesus, he called people into ministry. And when he called them, they were busy doing something. It tells you that God doesn't use lazy people. He calls busy people. So stop saying you are busy so you can't do anything for God. God doesn't work with lazy people. He calls busy people. They were busy doing their job and they were called. So God works with busy people. Are you hearing me? He works with who? Busy people. People who are Working, hard-working people. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. Matthew 4, 18 to 20. Matthew 4, 18 to 20. 
As Jesus was, this is from the NIV, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Verse 19. And lift your eyes if it's on the screen and look at it very well. Verse 19. This is the instructions of Jesus. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The next verse says that at once, which means immediately, instantly, there and then, at once, they left their nets and followed him. I like Jesus. Jesus doesn't like flattering people. If I were to be Jesus, I would have said, oh, come and follow me, you'll be rich. And when you come and follow me, my hidden agenda is to send you out. Jesus declared his intention right in the calling. He said, come and follow me. And the reason why I want you to come and follow me is because I have a job for you to do. The reason why you are a Christian is not for you to eat and drink and have the fun. You've been called because there's a job for you to do. Come and follow me and I will send you out. Have you been sent out or you are sitting? Or you are sleeping? Or you are standing? Come and follow me and I will send you out. So from day one, every Christian must know that becoming a Christian means you will be sent out. Sent out. Sent out. And the challenge is to decide whether to come and follow him or stick to your nets for fishing. These people had a profession and that was their livelihood. It was everything. And he said, choose between your job, what you cherish the most, what you value the most, and my call. My Bible says at once, they rendered everything as meaningless and they cherished and valued the call of God, the call of Jesus to follow him. So they knew from day one that they must go out and fish for men. Fish for men. Fish for men. The reason why we are sitting here is we came to be equipped. But our job is to go and fish for men. That's our job. And church has ceased to project that. Why? Because everybody wants to come and be comfortable. Nobody want to go out there. Nobody want to reach out to people. We think Christianity is all about identity. Oh, I am part of the body of Christ. But it's not just identity. When you see a soldier in a uniform, that soldier must go to war. You don't just wear uniform to take fans. You're walking in town. Hey, I'm in green. I'm a soldier. If you go among soldiers... Soldiers will tell you that within the military, people who have not gone for war, they laugh at them. It is a privilege when you are in an army to offer yourself to go to a place. Who wants to die? But they know that their job is to fight. So you can be a soldier and you are being promoted. Last couple to couple to sergeant. And so where have you been? Have you been to Afghanistan? Have you been to Congo? Have you been to Liberia? And he said, I've not been anywhere. I've just been sitting at home at the barracks, at the regiment, and I've been drinking tea, and I've been going up and down. I'm doing yes, I'm I'm being sent around, and I'm just collecting posts. They will laugh at you. Within the military, they want men who have been to the war field, and they pride themselves with it. So when they start talking, they start talking about the difficult situations they face, the war. Their face. A soldier who has not gone to war doesn't have a lot to ride home about. They must go to war. The people that went to the Second World War, six months, you see them, old people, they are marching. And when you interview them, 
they'll tell you, and when we went to Burma, and when we went to this, and when we went to that, they'll tell you the history as to how they were dropped behind enemy's lines and were asked to fight their way through, and how their neighbors died, their friends died, and they survived. Are you a Christian with decorated uniform sitting in the church, or are you a Christian that honors the call of God that we should go out and make disciples? Which kind are we? Are we discipleship makers or we are decorators in the church? Have you seen that when cake is baked, there are a lot of decoration on it. It's not everything we eat. Some of them go to the bin. The rare cake is inside. Which of them are you? A decoration or the proper cake? Jesus called us to send us. And this has become a burden to many of us because we think the sending is like stripping us of everything and putting us on the streets. That's not the sending we're talking about. Jesus himself demonstrated the sending. As he went about, Jesus attended funerals. Jesus attended weddings. Jesus was at all social functions. Jesus led a normal life. He traveled from point A to point B. And as he went around, he made friends and found neighbors. And these were the people he affected the most. He walks by the sycamore tree and he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today, I must stay in your house. He didn't go somewhere else looking for him, just walking on the street sweating, looking for somebody to save. Jesus was just traveling and he met him right up on the tree. We sit in vehicles with people. We go to school with people. We are teachers. We teach children. We, 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 we do all kinds of things. We have friends. We have, we have family members. We have people who live in our community. There are people we engage in 24-7, but we even don't remember that we will tell them Jesus loves them. Why? Because it's not part of our agenda. It's not part of what we think about. Yet we are expecting the church to be built up. How would it happen? We must offer ministry. We must offer ministry. Hello? Hello? If I was talking about marriage this morning, which I intend to do this year, <laughs> I'll do a whole series on marriage. I'll do a very long series. But if I was talking about marriage this morning, you'll see how alive you'll be. You see how you'll be clapping and shouting. And, wow. Pastor is talking about interest. That's what would have been happening here. But we have an automatic freezer for anything that has to do with our mission. We freeze it and we take it out of place. God wants us to honor him by doing what he's called us to do. A practice that has hampered the church when making disciples is after we engage people and establish them in the basis of faith, we fail to equip them to become effective ministers. One of the problems the church has is the reason why the cycle, the chain of reaching out is not happening is because even if or even when we reach out, we save people and bring them to the church, we don't train them. We don't let them understand that, hey, this is your job. I was saying here last week or last two weeks, I was clear that if you are going to Jehovah's Witness, you know straight away that if I become Jehovah's Witness, my job is to do what? Go out. Is that true? Is that true? You see, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house, the person who is going to do the delivery is probably one person. All those who are following with bags, they are disciples. They don't know anything. So they are watching how somebody is engaging and they are watching. Some of them are children carrying bags and following their fathers. They are being discipled in their sense. We must understand that the church is suffering because everybody comes in and is business as usual. 
Let's all enjoy ourselves. Oh, my waist faster, pray for me. Oh, my leg, pray for me. Oh, I need money. Oh, I need help. And that becomes the cause. We don't think about what the church has been called to do. And that has become a problem. Everything true blood. Everything true blood. He was a chaplain of Stanford University. He captured the essence of this flagrant failure in these words I read to you. Perhaps the greatest single weakness of the contemporary church is that millions of supposed members are not really involved at all. And what is worse, do not think it's strange that they are not. Millions of Christians are not involved at all in the Christendom. Millions. And what makes it worse is they don't even realize that they are not involved. Ask yourself, do you realize you are not involved? Ask yourself. Do you realize you are not involved? We all are head counts of Christianity, but we are not involved at all. Many are not involved. And we don't even realize that we are not involved. Whilst you are sitting in church, oh, Charlie, let's close. Let me go and have my gobe. Let's close. And, and that's all you're thinking about. You want to close and have your gobe. And you go and eat the gobe and go about your duties and come the following week. And, 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 and if you feel a form, Muslim, pagan, or Christian. Oh, Christian. You are part of the statistics. Because you are not involved at all. You are not involved at all. It doesn't matter how much you know in the scriptures. It doesn't matter how often you, you, you share scriptures with yourself and pray. You are not involved. We are not involved. And everything through blood talks about that. He further said this. There is no rare chance of victory in a campaign if 90% of the soldiers are untrained and uninvolved. But that is exactly where we stand now. How many of us agree with him? Oh, come on. How many of us, if you understand, do you agree with him? Do you agree with him? That 90% of the people in the campaign are not involved. 90% are not involved. We talk about Christianity. We talk about church. Let me tell you, this church, we have so many people that talk. We have so many people that show up here. But there are so many people who are not involved at all. If this morning I have just these people that are seated here, all of you here involved in church, there's no way we will fail. There's nothing we cannot do. There will be no mountain we cannot climb. There will be no valley we cannot descend in. But many of us are not involved at all. The best we can do is to complain. You find a problem with the service and, and call me afterwards and say, Pastor, today the chairs were not neatly arranged. Who should arrange them? You call me after the service and say, Oh, Pastor, how come the service was too long? Pastor, how come this? How come that? How? Many of us are not involved at all. Many of us are not hands-on. And we call that Christianity. No, Christianity is hands-on. Being sent out to do something. Christianity is ministry. We offer service. And from the one, we are told to offer the service. In Elim, we want to change the trend which goes around that people should just fill a building. We want to have a whole group of people that have been turned into an army. The strength of an army is not just the number. It is the active ones among them. That is the strength of an army. God didn't make a mistake when he was dealing with Gideon. And about 32,000 armies strong, God said, I don't need them on the battlefield because they will become an obstacle to what you are doing. Cut the number down. And he goes and tells them, if you want to go home, go home. And morale was so down that people felt we should go home. 10,000 and over people took their staff and went home. 
And that's how the church is. There are so many people, the moment you say this, they will disappear. Eventually, God whittled down the number to 300 people. Can you just imagine the percentage? 300 people that were active. Which side do we stand? And we have no excuse. You can't say, I'm a student. I am this. I am that. I am busy. I'm... Those things don't stop us from being on the front line as Christians. Christianity is not idealism. You don't become ideal. You serve. You serve. You serve. Service, ministry. And the church has a role to equip. I'll come to that. But we must also have the mindset to serve. I believe that this mindset has stripped the kingdom of God of workers and harvesters. That it so greatly needs. Workers and harvesters are the lifeline, the bloodline of the church. But the idea that we can sit and do nothing, we have lost this lifeline. And it's not helping at all. I even believe that it is not enough in discipleship to win, even if we are winning. It is not enough to win and establish believers in Christ. We must also equip them to become effective ministers. If we are even winning, when we win, we must seek to establish them to become what? Effective ministers. We have to come to a place as a church where everybody, every soul, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that passes through the church, everybody that goes through our entrance, know that as I'm going, I'm going to be trained to go out. It's a cycle. It is something that goes on. Nobody takes freedom. Nobody sits back. Nobody sleeps. It's a cycle. I win you to win others. That is what we must be thinking about. The goal of equipping disciples is to give them the competence and confidence to do the work of ministry. We equip disciples to give them competence and confidence to do the work of ministry. The Greek word employed for equipping that we are talking about is katarizo. Katatizo. Katatizo. That is a Greek word for equipping. In every case, equipping pictures a transformation from brokenness to wholeness. When we say we are equipping somebody, what is happening is the person is broken and we are making the person whole. So they can have confidence and competence to do what they have to do. So that is what it is. All from ineffectiveness to usefulness. When people are doing nothing and all of a sudden they become what? Useful. The picture of a torn net. When you go to the beach and fishermen go to sea and they come back and they sit, you realize that their nets are torn and the torn net at the beach is mended. They sow. Why do they sow them? So that when they go back to sea, fish will not penetrate through the torn places. They are getting it fixed so that they can harvest more, get more. And that process is what we call being equipped. When believers, when people come into church, they have to be equipped to the point that they cover the holes to be able to have a bigger harvest. We move from weakness to strength, ineffectiveness to being effective. That is what the equipping stands for. A torn fishing net drag up the beach and mend it so it could be used again is simply a sign of being equipped. Equipping means mending the net so it can function properly. So we have to equip so we can function what? Properly. We have to do something. So we've been talking about love for a long time in the church. We've been talking about changing our direction. And the reason why we are talking about love is because love is the major component of all that we're doing. We must learn to love God. We must learn to love one another. We must learn to love 
people who are out there because that is the only way we can do effective discipleship. Please don't deceive yourself. Don't convince yourself. Don't sit down and feel proud of yourself and say, oh, I'm a Christian. I think when we, when, when we meet people in this church, that, that should be the question we ask them. Are you following Jesus? Are you fellowshipping with believers? Are you fishing for people? The crowd come by themselves. Now churches have to rely on adverts to invite people to church. You are there. Who will be a better advertiser than you? It's you who is an advertiser. So you, you are the better advertiser than any other person. But church has to rely on what? Billboard. We have to rely on what? Handbills. On staff to bring people to church. Is that not a shame? It's shameful. The money we spend in advertising programs. And church people don't say a word. We have to pay money to advertise church. Oh, let me ask you another question. Do you think a lot of the adverts that is on the street, it appeals to unbelievers? People who don't know Jesus. You think when we put billboard out there, it appeals to them? It doesn't appeal to them. When we put billboards and out there, we are only appealing to Christians. Anybody who is passing by is saying, hey, Pastor Gospel is on a poster. Oh, I know Pastor Gospel. It means they are a Christian. The rare fish has gone away. That's why we have to go out because the fish is not going to come here. We have to go to the fish. We have to bring them in. We have to fish for people. Fish for people. Fish for people. That is the call that we have. Bow down your head. Father, help us to do this. Help us to change our course. Help us to be able to honor you and bless you. This is a mandate for us. And we pray, Lord, that church will play her part by equipping and strengthening. But we as a people also embrace this. And Lord, we will love you. We will love one another. And we will reach out to the lost. We bless you for the opportunity to hear this. Help us to implement this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.